Father God, I thank you that you're the same God that went before the people of Israel. You're the same God, God that parted the sea. You're the same God that comforted Elijah. You're the same God that broke the chains off of Paul and Silas. You are the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega, God. We thank you that you are unchanging. Jesus, we thank you that you are the cornerstone. We thank you that the church is built upon the truth that you are the Messiah, that you have raised from the dead, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, that you are interceding on our behalf even now. So God, as we enter into this time of worship, Father, we come with grateful hearts. God, first and foremost, because you commanded us to be grateful, to be a thankful people. We don't believe in, in luck and coincidence, Father. We believe in the sovereign providence of the one and holy God. So we thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to come together as a united body to offer our thankfulness. Because you are good, and your love endures forever. So, Father, as we come into this time of worship and, and this time of word, Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would be found as good soil. God, you are a redeeming God. You are a healing God, Father. You are a God of provision, Lord. You are the banner over us, Father. You are the shelter in the storm, and you are the voice that speaks to the winds and the waves. God, so we grab on to the the hem of your garment this morning and say, touch us, Lord Jesus. May we not go out from here the same that we came in, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship our King. Amen.
see me through. Yes, Lord. You see my pain through the eyes of redemption. And the sorrow that was mine, you took away. My God, And you gave me the oil of gladness instead. And now I'm praising you. to return to our first love. God, you call us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our bodies, with all of our strength, Father, with our very being. <laughs> because you first loved us. Oh, God. I pray that we would not take for granted your great love towards us. Your word says, God, and reveals to us, Lord, that yet though we were sinners, yet though we were in complete rebellion against your holy throne, you loved us. 
And it's your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. That God, you are so pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son Jesus. That we might be reconciled to you through Jesus. Therefore then we would be at peace with God, our creator, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ah, such great love, God. The world can't offer this to us. Things of the temporalness, Lord, cannot fulfill us, Lord. But it's only through Christ that we understand wholeness. That peace surpasses all understanding. Oh God, that you would guard us, Lord. That you would help us guard our hearts and our minds, God. For those who are in Christ, and for those who aren't, that God, Lord Jesus... That today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that scales would fall from their eyes, Lord. That their hearts would not grow hardened. God, that they would be drawn because of your loving kindness towards them. To come to accept and to believe upon Jesus Christ. I have a belief in the confession that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. That they would be born again. It's a new birth. It's a new way of life. No matter what our age is. It's the newness of life now. All because of what Christ has accomplished for us. So Father, we gather today for Christ. We come not for our own desires and wants and needs. But for Christ and for Christ alone. So, Father, be glorified and magnified, Father. May your word go forth, Father. And may Christ be exalted. And may the Father be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And good morning to everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. So this year, this theme I'm holding up for us is that you have been bought, you have been purchased with a price. That your life is no longer your own if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, live however you want. (laughs) Because that's what you do anyways. And as I've been praying and and thinking about our time together this week, I am reminded, and, and this is kind of what I would title our time together today, there's no you in Christ. There's no you in Christ. It's all Christ. It's Jesus. Again, the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow Him. Not just to be hearers of the words, but to be doers of the word. Not just to be able to read the word, but to actually study the word. To be a disciple, to be a student of Christ. And not depending upon yourself, but depending upon the author of life, who has called you to Himself who is giving you the Holy Spirit, who is your teacher, who is your comforter, who is your guide. So we come not to do religious works. No, we come to seek Christ, to know Christ, to honor Christ, to live for Christ, and ultimately to do the will of the Father. Because that's what Christ came to do. And as we're understanding, as we're reading the Word of God, that we're to do the things that Christ has done if we're truly the people of God. 
And so when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. God has purchased you. If you truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if your eyes have been open and the scales have fallen off, God is pleased to reveal himself to you that you might live and live life to the fullest. And I keep encouraging us as I have over the past few years, we cannot continue to do church the way we've done church. Times are different. There's been a shift. And now it's time to be awakened to truth, to live for Christ, to love the things that Christ loved. And Christ loves his bride. And so in a day and age when the church, and I use that term loosely, the religious establishment that is on the earth, wants to deconstruct the faith, wants to rip out different pages of the Bible, wants to rewrite and, and, and adapt to the culture. Like I said last week, the true bride of Christ never adapts to the culture. No, oh, the body of Christ, the people of God, from the beginning to the end, they are set apart. They're out of the culture. And that's what I keep encouraging you all. How are you doing? How are you growing in your faith? How are you living your life? Loving and serving others. Not making it about you. Not making it about this or that. But all for Christ. You were purchased. You were bought with a price. The blood of Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been reconciled. He took upon your sins and laid upon you his righteousness. All because of his love for you. You see, in and of ourselves before Christ, remember, all of us, all of us were born into sin. Every single one of us. We're in rebellion towards his holy throne. And then we have these thoughts and these ideals of God that aren't true. We make him to be out the bad guy. He's the one with the problem. He's the one with the issues. And we stiff arm him. But oh no. Oh no. If we truly recognize and see his great love towards us, he knows that condition. And yet, he's made a way. And yet he's made provision through his son that we might live, you all. That we might live through Jesus. And that is where we need to remain rooted in Christ, especially in this day and age and the ages to come, as it's always been. (laughs) But especially as we see what's happening on the earth. Oh, the church needs to awaken out of her slumber and remember whom she belongs to cut the ties from the world cut the ties from the culture it doesn't mean you're not out there loving and serving them remember they're not our enemy 
We must look how Christ went about loving and serving. But we must refuse to submit to their false gods. We must refuse to submit to all these little gods that are out there. So you have to look over your week. You have to look over even your morning. You have to recognize, how have I been living? What have I been, or who have I been submitted to? You have to allow, if you're a Christian, you have to give him full access and full reign and full rights. Because he loves you. His discipline is not because he's a bad God. No, his discipline is because he loves you. He knows your condition. He's made a way out for you to be able to live. <laughs> As the world is preparing for its Antichrist. The church, the bride of Christ, is preparing, preparing for the return of her Christ. Yes. And that's why I said last week, and I keep reminding us, listen, you all, times are going to get harder. And you say, well, pastor, that's not good news. No, it's great news. <laughs> because the harder that you see it getting, the closer he's returning. Yes. <laughs> I said last week, let the enemy ra- wage his warfare let him rage all that he wants. Let the chaos of this world slam up against your life. But if you're in Christ, you stand. Yes. And you stand therefore then. Not in the confidence of your religious works. Or the scriptures you can memorize and spat out. And do all these religious duties. No, no. Your confidence is in Christ and what he's accomplished. And it's in that confidence in Christ that then, yes, you have scripture. And yes, you have the disciplines of the Christian faith. You don't have the scriptures and the disciplines of your Christian faith to manipulate Christ to do for you. You have them so that you will live for Christ to accomplish his purpose. In this world, to advance his kingdom amongst a rebellious generation. And this is the good news that we have. So the lost... So those who are bound by the culture should look at the bride of Christ and say, there's something different. You're an odd people. What is it about you? And we're told they're either going to hate us or they're going to begin to love Christ. See, it's not about us. It's not about they're going to love us. But they're going to come to know Christ because we're going to be a sweet fragrance among them that draws them to Christ or will be the stench of death to them. Because they already know they're perishing. Yes. So church, we have to wake up. We have to understand the warfare that's out there. But again, we're not looking for devils. We're not flipping over in rocks, looking for demons. We're not out there running amok, looking crazy. In and of ourselves, because you are going to look crazy for Christ, but you're not bringing it upon yourself. No, you're going to learn to be steadfast, immovable, untouchable. I mean, you are going to endure a lot. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But he didn't leave it there, Maritza. He didn't leave us hanging like, oh, what? 
No. He says, but I've already overcame the world. See, I don't know how, and I keep encouraging y'all, I don't know how you're encouraging yourself daily if you're truly a Christian. Actually, I keep telling you, you ought to be the best preacher you know. Because unless you think you're just going to keep rolling out of bed, boom, I'm a Christian, and just going through your day. And not loving Christ. And not honoring Christ. And not making Christ first. See, there is a way in which we're called to live, you all. And it's not man's rules. It's not man's standards. It's not this burdensome life. Like, oh, this poor, this Christian life is horrible. It's no fun. That's not the Christian life. No, no, when your eyes are open, when you see what you've been delivered from, when you know whom you belong to, when you know the value of Christ in you, when you understand the wholeness that you have been given, because we're all broken. We're all broken. But in Christ, we're whole. And that's the story of redemption. I could choose to get, I could have got up today thinking of all the brokenness in my life. Where's that going to lead me? As you think, so you go. You'll keep living as a broken person, opening up doors to things you ought not to open up to. Thoughts and patterns and mindset, mindsets and strongholds. Giving the enemy a foothold that he may develop strongholds, patterns of thoughts that are contrary to God's truth. And then you're trapped. Chained back up. And for what? For what? But here's the good news. <laughs> Those strongholds may be formed, but do not forget, if you're truly a Christian, <laughs> he's giving you the weapons of your warfare to demolish them. Yes. To demolish them. So many times when I'm counseling people or trying to encourage people, I hear this a lot. Maybe you said it. I've said it in different seasons of my Christian walk. Well, if God would just do this for me. If God would just take this from me. If God would blah, 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 blah. If God would blah, 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 blah. Newsflash, newsflash, he already did through Christ. That's the reality. That's the reality. Whatever it is that you're lacking, that you're thinking that God's not moving, God, blah, blah, whatever it is, whatever it is, you're neglecting to truly understand he's already accomplished it through Christ. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Or are you walking fearfully? You see, when you have faith, you walk upright. And listen, we're all going to have these times and seasons in our life. Remember, <laughs> The Christian life is not a perfected life. It's not a life that we're pretending that everything's okay. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm great. You know, I'm good and well known you're not. Yeah. You know, but in front of everyone, oh, yeah, praise God, praise God, I'm blessed, highly favored, soaring high with the eagles. And then you go home and it's a nightmare. It's chaos. It's torment. It's loneliness. It's isolation. It's lust. It's anger. It's whatever. Poor stewardship. Whatever's going on. But yet when we're around, around we, oh, praise God, holy favor. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's not the Christian life. <laughs> That's why he's given us the bride. That's why he left us here together. So that we can live transparent first before God and then before others. And that we come along and we encourage and we edify and we build each other up. 
And like I said, yes, we want to walk through the valley with you when you're experiencing the valley, but you can't expect us to take up camp with you. If you choose to take up camp in the valley, that's you. Don't get mad at the church because the church don't want to sit in the camp with you. No, no, we got to keep moving forward. We got to keep moving forward. We got to keep moving forward. We will go through the valley. We will face the enemy together under the banner of Christ. Because he's the one that goes before us. He is our rear guard. But we're getting through this life in this temporal world as Christians through the power of Christ and the protection of Christ. Honoring Christ, because it's all Christ. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. If you're truly a Christian, this is who you gave your life to. You didn't sign up to join the church. To have your name and your family's name written down in the church log. No, you came to Christ. He's the one who called you out of darkness. There is a way in which we're called to live. Go to John 10, verse 1. John 10, verse 1. These are Jesus' words. So as we're meditating upon us, we're thinking about the, the understanding that we've been purchased. And again, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then come to Christ. Recognize that you are a sinner. Recognize that you are at war with Christ. And he is pleased to reveal himself, God is, to you through Christ to save you. So you humble yourself. You repent. And it's a genuine repentance. You come to have a belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he rose from the dead. And that is the important part. Because if your Christ is still on the cross, your faith is useless. If your Christ is still in the tomb, your faith is useless. No, no. The Christian faith is based on the resurrected Christ. Now, he had to endure the cross to pay for our sins. That's how we were purchased. He took upon what we deserved, our punishment. He took upon himself. And in that, he laid upon us his righteousness, his right standing with God. That's the freedom, you all, that comes from the Christian faith. I really hope, you know, it's taken me quite some years to get to this concept and like, what? Like, I don't have to work so hard to, to be right with God. And as we've been talking about works, works does not bring forth salvation. But because of salvation, works come forth. Because you're a new creation. You're not living how you used to live. You're not thinking how you used to think. You're beginning to allow, how's the word of God said, he transforms us by changing the way we think. We start walking afresh and anew. Because of the one who is now leading us. Remember, there's no you in Christ. And so when you hear you, you go, oh, wait a minute. You're nailed to his cross. You've been crucified to his cross. You're a new creation. The hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Do you know his voice? Listen to the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a shepherd 
rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come, come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. Ha! And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now, the word of God says here in verse 6, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The higher hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this shepherd or sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back up again. No one, Jesus, can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. This is Jesus, you all. And somehow, in some way, <laughs> we just get lulled asleep by the enemy in church. Don't take all this so serious. And we have this misconception of who Christ is. We become religious. <laughs> You see, you've got to be mindful. You've got to understand the tactics of the enemy. Jesus himself explains to us the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life, and life in abundance, a satisfying life. You know, when Jesus says, peace I give you, peace I leave you. That peace is nothing missing, nothing broken. This world cannot offer that 
to you. Keep seeking. Keep trying to gather it all up. Keep trying to take it all in. It'll never satisfy you. But when you come to Christ, when your eyes are truly open, and you recognize Christ, you just go, oh God, like you love me, like you're pleased to reveal yourself to me. You understand my condition. I'm humbling myself because, oh God, I'm sinful. You're holy. But God, I believe that you sent Jesus for me. I believe that he is the son of God and he rose from the dead. He defeated the very power that has chained this old nature. But now I can be free from it because I now can be born again, afresh and anew of the spirit. And I'm counted among you, your people. You see, when the world wants to divide everyone, Christ comes to call a people to himself. Of all nations and race and creeds and tongues. Out of the chaos. And in to his kingdom. That's the beauty of Christ, you all. It's the beauty of Christ. And again, it's every day, you all. You ought to be sharing the gospel to yourself every day, lest you forget it. Lest you, like the Galatians and the other churches, when Paul had to write them, who's bewitched you? Why are you believing a different gospel now? Oh, no. This is every day, you all. This is every day. You set your heart upon Christ. And you go forth. And you don't stay bound in bondage to shame and guilt and condemnation. I'm just a horrible Christian. And then some people stay there. And other people then begin to, to, to live in a weird reality that they're all okay in reality that they're not. They're okay from everyone else, but behind closed doors. And then somehow we think Christ is okay with that. Remember the enemy, shh. See, you got to remember whom you belong to, you all, so that you can begin to stand up. So you can remember to walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. And no matter what slams up against your life, you go, okay, no, wait a minute. <laughs> this is causing hurt and pain, confusion, fear, you know, everything that we go through, because you're still going to go through. But the difference is, I'm not left alone. <laughs> Here's truth. See, I can look up. Even though the cloud of uncertainty is all around me, <laughs> I may be going through the most difficult seasons of my life, but there's one thing I will continue to testify and praise. <laughs> God is still on the throne. Yes. See, when you know you're God, He's not frantically pacing back and forth, trying to figure out how he's going to fix things in your life. Oh no, he's seated. He's the same God today, and that's why I love that one verse in that song. And he's the God tomorrow. Yes. He's already in your tomorrow. 
and in the days to come. So fret not, little children. Your God has already made a way. And this is the song of the bride. That's why the true bride, her lamp, remains filled. <laughs> because every day, she's pouring oil in into it. This is Christ, you all. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the hope. And the hope that is in Christ will never disappoint us. You say, well, I feel disappointed now in my season. All right, well, get over yourself. You say, well, that, that's harsh. You don't know what I'm going through. Hey, we all go through. That doesn't change who Christ is. And that's why you have to be careful on whose report you're listening to. The enemy, he doesn't light up. The beauty is, if you submit yourself to God and you resist the enemy, he has to flee. And I keep telling you, there's three enemies. Ultimately, this unseen world, the devil, the demons, this principalities, the rulers, and the air and the darkness in which you cannot see. You know, the devil thought that he was going to throw God off of his throne. And then you have the world system. That's everything that's going on in this world that we just try to tie ourselves to. We get so excited about to demand our rights. I said, church, if you would get more excited about the things of the kingdom... That's what divides the church because we're all out there trying to demand the rights of what the world has given us. And we're to be about the kingdom of God. But it's this world system that comes to distract us. But lest you forget the word of God says if you're in Christ, Scripture says that your interest in the world is over. And I love this part of Scripture. And the world's interest in you is no more. And then ultimately your flesh, that old nature. Yet though, you are now in Christ. This is your new identity. You're seated with Christ. You are in Christ. As we read last week in Galatians, that old nature is still at work. It says, the Bible tells us, the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. So how are you doing in that daily in your life? I just, it's just a constant struggle, it's just a constant struggle. As you think, so you go. As you keep giving the flesh the right to master you, you're going to be chained back. <laughs> but when you begin to walk in the Spirit, when you begin to cultivate a walking in the Spirit, a determination You know what the Bible says? That if you walk in the Spirit, you will not. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you find yourself, or if I find myself, still allowing the flesh to master us in certain areas of our lives, 
Well, don't beat yourself up. Just repent. Begin to allow the Spirit of God to have access to what you're refusing to give Him. And begin to live, you all. Begin to live. This is my charge for us this year. Is live. 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 Choose life. And choose it every moment. And every hour. And every second. Choose life. It's vital. It's important. Go to Josh. I mean, go to Numbers. Numbers 13. Yes, Lord. Numbers 13. Where we're headed. So we're going to read, we're going to look at Numbers 13, verse 25 is where I'm starting. And then we're going to go through chapter 34 through verse 45. It's a lot of scripture, so pay attention. As I said, whose report are you listening to? The enemy can do nothing new. His tactics are the same, you all. And you see it all throughout the Bible. With God's people, rather it be his chosen people, the nation of Israel that he pulled out of the nations back in the Old Testament, ultimately to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. Remember, God's plan all along was just not Israel, though they were his chosen people to bring forth the Messiah. No, God's plan was for Israel, and for the rest of the nations. One people. Remember, God's plans, God's purpose, from Genesis to Revelation, that he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. And every people, rather it be Israel, or rather it be the church, the bride in our generation, were constantly being bombarded. And here's the key. You may want to perk up and take note of this. It's from within. You understand what I'm saying? It's from within the community. Listen, we already know how the world's going to respond to us. But lest we forget, there's wolves among us. And like I said a few weeks ago, oh, as you're growing closer and closer and closer to Christ, you're going to begin to see the fangs of the wolves among us. Scripture tells us you're going to know people by the fruit of their lives. Oh, they can only pretend for so long before things start being revealed. The danger is within. They come up with these crazy ideals. They come up to yoke you and enslave you to bondage again. They come up to sow seeds of doubt. 
who Christ is. They come up and, and they become so religious. And they raise up such a high standard. <laughs> to keep you further and further from Christ. Oh, people of God. <laughs> know your shepherd. Know your king. Believe in his report. Believe upon him. I keep telling you, you cannot learn your theology from Satan. You cannot learn your theology from the world. And you surely can't learn it from yourself. have made him such a weak God to the upcoming generations, they don't even know him. How sad is that? And yet we have churches on every corner. And some of them are like thousands upon thousands of members. Where's the impact? Where's the impact? And that's why I challenge you all. We're the bride of Christ. We're part of the local church. Have you been productive this week? Don't lay that on me, Pastor. Oh, it's not me laying it on you. That's the call of Christ. Got to be hard workers. Got to be good stewards. Got to be taking thoughts captive. You ought to be untying what's binding you to this temporal life that keeps controlling you. Who have you shared the gospel with? Not demanding that they come to Christ. Not fighting them that they come to Christ. But just living among them and the opportunity when you've been sowing the seeds and watering, allowing the Holy Spirit, who ultimately is the harvester, to use you. So that you can be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit instead of being so in bondage and enslaved to all of your circumstances. This is my hope this year. To encourage us, be productive. Get out there and live. <clears throat> Throw off the old self. Begin to grow and to mature. Your ultimate goal in this life is not perfection. You're not perfected until you're with Him, but you ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing. And that's why I keep telling you, if your Christianity, if your Christian walk is the same as it was yesterday, a year ago, ten years ago, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Something's seriously wrong. Because you're you're supposed to be maturing. You're supposed to be maturing. (laughs) Loving God. Sitting down. Studying scripture. Not allowing false gods to be erected up in your home and in your heart and in your mind. Mm -hmm. Becoming subservient to every other little god, everyone in your unit, your family, everywhere else, that you just just succumb to them. (laughs) Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cause trouble. Huh? Oh, no, I refuse. I refuse. 
to bow down any longer to these so-called gods. Mm. I only bow down to one. Mm. And that's where you got to get in your heart and in your life. Mm. And then prepare this upcoming generation to know their God. To testify of his works, of his greatness, of his goodness, of his love, of his character. They're being bombarded with all of this crazy ideals to tear them from God. And we, the generation before them, are not fighting for their souls. We're just caving in and bowing out and giving them over. We're sacrificing the upcoming generations. For what? For what? Oh, we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. And again, it's not to, oh, I'm a bad. See, you can't do that. You just go, oh God, forgive me. Like, oh God. Because you know, he wants to awaken us. He wants to bring us to repentance so that we can whoo, begin to see and begin to be led by his spirit on how to move and how to honor him. There was an issue back in the day. God brought his people out, Israel, out of Egypt. Remember what Egypt was. They were enslaved. They were beaten, hard-pressed, barely had anything to eat. It was a hard, miserable life. Years, for years, for years, and God heard their cries Amen. and sent forth a deliverer, Moses. And God showed up. I mean, goodness gracious! I can. I wish I, I'm not going to go back. You go back and read it yourself. God showed up mm-hmm. and showed off. I'm your God. This is who I am. This is how you will know me and worship me. Don't get caught up in what those other nations are doing and how they're worshiping and what they like. No, no. Come to me. Because I'm leading you into this land that you're not going to have to fight for. I'm just going to get it to you. I'm going to take such good care of you. This is what God is telling his people. And they were on the verge of entering the land. They were like right there. And so we pick up. <coughs> they picked 12 spies from among Israel to go into the land to bring back a report. Chapter 13, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and to the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness, Paran. They reported to the whole community, remember, from within, what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But 
You see, remember I told you this year that but's usually a good word. You need this clue. Oh, but not in this report. Because <laughs> look at everything that's good from this land, but <laughs> the people living there are too powerful. Mm-hmm. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, the, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites. Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Oh, but here's a good but. (laughs) But Caleb, one of the spies, tried to quiet them. He tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said, We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So I don't know what you're going through in life today. I really don't. I mean, I know some of the stories that are happening in the room. But I don't know what you're facing. (laughs) And here here. I don't know whose report you're listening to and what you're believing upon and what you're sharing with others and how you're coming at things in life. But if you're making your problems, if you're making your circumstances greater than your God, then guess what? (laughs) That is what you're serving. Your circumstances. They just saw God. They have walked with God. They have seen God do incredible miracles, delivering them. And now they're on the verge of entering into what God has promised them. And 10 of the 12 say, no, 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 no. And they start spreading among the, the community. No, 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 we can't go, we can't go, we can't go. They're too big of people. Fortified, fortified cities. They're going to devour us. They're going to take us out. We're not going to survive. We're going to lose everything. And all of a sudden, it's spreading like wildfire. 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 And we're all catching on to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we just remain seated. Shh. Sit in your churches and do nothing. Shh. Sit in your circumstances. Because God's really He's not going to take care of you. He's not the enemy lies. You know? And then, go to Gilda. Oh, Gilda. And the Gilda doesn't have a backbone to say, Rob, snap snap out of it. No, we believe in God. The true God. You know what's going to happen? She's like, oh yeah, Rob, you're right. You're right. There's there's no 
And then my sister called me, you know, won't he do it? No, he won't. No, he won't, brother. No, he won't. You know, all of a sudden, we start believing the report. All of a sudden, we get Yvette involved. Then we get Melissa. Everyone, we're all involved. Nothing. It's just, nothing's working. It's, we're just, it's all just going to fall off us. And we all believe the report. Of the ones who don't even know their God. These people are rebelling against God. God has brought them there. God even took them in. God even gave them the victory. If they, listen you all, this is the reality. If those people were as powerful and strong, how'd they get that fruit and all that stuff out of that land? How? How? You know, you may be you may be sitting, you may be going through today. But guess what? You got up this morning. Oh no, no, no. You gotta start recognizing the tactics of the enemy and you gotta start recognizing how he uses people around you. And you say, Oh no, no, no. Come on, brother. Because that's when he said, Won't he do it? But he will do it. Come on, brother, preach it. He will do it. Because he's done it before. It doesn't look like he's moving fast enough. It doesn't matter. His time is better than mine. You see, I don't know how you're talking. I don't know how you're speaking. I don't know how you're standing up against the lies and the deception and the chaos. Remember, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And yet, though the enemy may be breathing down our necks, we will remind him he'll drown you. <laughs> Keep chasing us. Keep coming for us. Because he's our rear guard. You are going to run into our God. Yes. You see what I'm saying? It's not about us. Oh, we're such a strong people. Oh, no, no. It's all about him. And then the people began to rebel. This, this is, I mean, you go into chapter 14. Then it says, then the whole community began weeping out loud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus, a protest against Moses and Aaron. If only, listen to what they said, if only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Now, unless you think, oh, those poor people. Oh, that's them. That's them. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. What have you returned to that's from your past that you all not, not, not have even looked at? Because that's what they did. Maybe it was their own. Maybe it's your own strength. Oh, I have to try to figure this out. I've got. I've got. That's your Egypt, your pride, your arrogance, your boastfulness, the way you manipulate things. I don't know what you're returning back to. I don't know what looks good to you back there. Because nothing ought to look good to you back there. Because you've been delivered. See, not to look back. So I love Jesus, you all, man. Remember what Jesus tells us. Hey, hey. 
if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. What? That's Jesus, you all. No, no, we don't like that Jesus. We want the, you know, the sweet, you know, hugs and muffin Jesus. This weak-willed God. No, no, no. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, it's going to cost you everything. Greater see that is in me than he that is in this world. Oh, this world is not my kingdom. See, we have to know our God, you all. Oh no, these people? Oh no. Egypt was better. What? You cried for centuries, for generations to get out. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, when your God is about to bring you in, now all of a sudden, it's too hard. It's too terrifying. What? And we can't make light of this because it happens to all of us. Even to the strongest ones in faith. Oh, they face these seasons. But do you stand and endure? See, you don't have to beat yourself up because you fell. You don't have to beat yourself up because you look back. You just have to repent. You just have to get up. And get up again, 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 and get up again. Now these people are like, eh, nope. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb, they said to all the people of Israel, listen to what they said. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only a helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. You need, I don't know if you've got some <laughs> Joshua's and Caleb's in your life, but you ought to better start seeking them out and get away from everyone else in the community that's just trying to keep you down, offering no hope. But a lot of people don't like the Joshua's and the Caleb's. Silence them. They're in our way. But we need them. We need them in our lives. We need the encouragers. We need people to remind us, yes, our God is great. You know, I've told you before, when I counsel or I'm walking through life with people, they always say, don't tell me to pray anymore. Don't tell me to read my Bible. Don't tell me to worship. Don't tell me to press into God. Well, what on earth do you want me to tell you? That your life sucks? That your circumstances are going to destroy you? That death is going to take you out. What do you want me to tell you? You want me to counsel you in the counsel of the world and the culture? Oh no. The only report that we have to share with others is the report of the Lord. So press in more to prayer. Yes. Because your flesh doesn't want to. Press in more to worship. Cultivate the atmosphere of worship. Because you've been cultivating the negativity for far too long. 
And as you think, so you've gone. Cultivate love for the things of God. Like, it just doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm pretending. No, it's not about pretending. It's just about just taking the step and saying, God, I don't feel it, but God, I know you're there. And God, I will seek you with everything within me because I know that you are for me. You're not against. See, I don't know how you're talking. I don't know how you're pressing in. But God, I hope you are. Oh, yes, Lord. If you jump down to verse 11, because the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, "How? this is the Lord, you all. This is God. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. But it'll take some time to read, and on Wednesday night we will. The next portion of scripture there, Moses intercedes for the people. Do you realize what God just offered Moses? You see, basically God says, Moses, all them, I'm going to wipe them out. But through you, I'll bring forth a great nation. And Moses, Moses, we don't see him getting prideful and arrogant. Like, yeah, God, destroy them all. He begins to intercede like, oh God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your character, (laughs) have mercy upon them. Have mercy upon them. What a beautiful picture of intercession. So many times they're so quick to call it out, God just destroyed them. God just blah, blah, blah. But to really be broken, to intercede for others. God ends up punishing Israel. As you continue to read through verse four, I mean chapter 14. And that generation. He tells them. I mean, he, he answers Moses' prayer. And he's like, okay, I won't. I won't wipe them out. But they're going to be punished. They will not enter in. They're going to go back to the wilderness. Walk it out. Work it out. <laughs> this generation, they will not enter in. They will die in the wilderness. Their children will enter in. But this generation, oh no. And so Moses, the people hear the report. And then if you look at verse 39, when Moses reported the Lord's words to the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Now all of a sudden. (laughs) Then they got up the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. You see, their grief wasn't true repentance. Now, that'd be a lesson for us. Now, that'd be a lesson. Because look what happens here. Let's go, they said. Where do they want to go now? 
I'm going to go into the land. We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. No, no, did you just not hear the report of God? And now you're still rebelling against him. Oh, no, 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 now we're going to go. But Moses said, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. And let me tell you something. There's a lesson to be learned there. Keep moving in your pride. Keep moving in your arrogance. Keep moving in your rebellion towards God. And your enemies, they will take you. You must endure the discipline of God. Because he loves us. A true son, a true daughter of God, they will face discipline. But he does it because he's a loving father. And in a generation where we want no authority in our lives, remove all authority. <laughs> we say the same to God. We don't need your discipline. We've got this. Okay. Remember, he's the same God as he was then, as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. And there's the understanding. It's not because God's a bad God. No, no, no. You abandoned God. And remember what we've heard and all through last year. And what you hear all through scripture, God does turn us over. And that's a sign of God's judgment on our life, on a nation, on a people. Like he does turn us over. Oh, you want that? Oh, this is the God you're going to serve? This is what you're chasing? This is what's defining you and your family? This is all of you? Well, then here, Not because he's a bad God. No, he's a good God. He's a just God. He's a fair God. He's a great God. But he will allow you to experience these false gods who have lured you out to destroy your life. It's not God who destroys you. Remember, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of God's Covenant left the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back. Oh, come on, you all. So I'm telling you, in a day and age in which we're living, especially in the church culture, where things are being stripped down, we want to reform the church we want to you know do everything new what what was there is not for now and now the church has to be this way and this is truly what jesus was saying i don't know if you hear the craziness that's going on out there i don't know how you're guarding your minds and your hearts from all these false doctrines that are out there so all i can tell you is when you're hearing the gospel preach and it's giving you the right to self that's not the gospel. 
When it's trying to, to tear down and say, no, 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 this isn't right. Let's rework it. Let's redo it. Like something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven. And as we're understanding this concept of, of the culture in which we're in, where the, the, the church community, and I use that term loosely, wants to reform or tear down or neglect the call to holiness, to righteousness, to a newness of life. It's so odd, it's so crazy that you go out and you're sharing what God is doing in your life to other so-called believers and they look at you like you're strange. Well, no, maybe it was just for you. Maybe that's your story. But don't expect God to do that for everyone. Like, what? Like, what? Like, is he not God? Is he not God? And then you hear these weird stories. You, you, you hear all this stuff that's going on. And maybe you say, well, Rob, I'm not. Well, okay, that's good. But it's out there. Talk to people. See what they believe in. <laughs> hear who they're following. Look what they're doing with the Word of God. Trying to adapt it to the culture. Make it more relevant. I mean, it's absolutely insane what's going on. So I wanted to bring these scriptures, which we've already had brought before us, but I want them back before us, because I want you to understand the fullness of what Christ has done in our lives, when scripture tells us that we've been bought with a price, that our lives are no longer our own. He's done a complete work. Remember, the Word of God says He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's not holding anything back from us. And so when you hear 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, through 11. <clears throat> Don't you realize, remember, he, he, he's writing to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people in the church of Corinth. Remember, it was a wicked city. I mean, ungodly city. I mean, the things were going on in this city. Whew. And yet God hath compassion and mercy upon it and sent forth Paul to establish a church. People are getting saved. Hallelujah. Lives are being changed. Hallelujah. They were coming to Christ. There was a move among them. Lives were being changed radically. Boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden they get in the church. And then these weird teachers come in and start doing all these weird teachings and start confusing people. One, one, one. Paul gets wind of it. Let's write them a letter. See, again, I don't know where the Caleb's, the Joshua's, the Paul's, the other men and women of faith are today. I mean, they're out there. Don't get me wrong. I know they're in the out there in the earth. <laughs> but oh, how I pray you have them in your life. Oh, how I pray you're one of them. Who's standing up. Listen. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. He's talking to the church. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Boom, he throws down the gauntlet. Boom, church, there. But praise be to God, he doesn't leave it there. Because he wants to remind them. Some of you were once like that. Come on. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So go forth in your city of Corinth. Go forth in your city of Orlando. Go forth in your city and your community and walk upright. And stop going back to what used to define you. That is not who you are any longer. Though it had such a great identification upon your life, you've been born again. You are the children of God. Live as such. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm getting there. Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, oh, I do pray that y'all are getting a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I, oh, how I'm praying that the word of God, that you're just wanting, like, just want to eat more of it. Uh, listen to this. I mean, again, we're still <coughs> talking about I'm trying to encourage you in this concept that I want you to go forth each and every single day that you have been purchased by God through Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his body. He purchased you. If you believe upon him, if you don't believe, you're not his. You still belong to yourself. Your father's still the devil. You're still running him up behind in rebellion. (laughs) But why would you? And God is so pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus that you have a greater level of hungering or thirsting for the things of God. Not because Rob says. Rob says I've got to go to church. Rob says I've got to do this. Rob says I've got to read my word. Rob says if I don't do this, Rob's not going to let me in. Like when you talk that way and when you talk to each other that way, foolishness. Christ and Christ alone, you all. I can only encourage you. And oh, how I pray for us that we will have a greater hunger for God's word, for God's truth. Listen to this promise here. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fall, I'm sorry, might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did, it did but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. 
even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scripture where it mentions the seventh day. Oh my God. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will enter, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David, much later in the words already quoted. Hear these words. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua has succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So, with all that being said, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we would fail. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the risen one, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Listen. Do you hear what is promised to us? Do you understand the confidence that you can have in Christ? Do you know how God has prepared us for today? For this generation. And the Bible tells us he created us. He formed us. He fashioned us. In the secret places. Before we were placed in our mother's womb. He prepared us. And he prepared good works for us to do. He knew the generation in which we would be living. He understood what the world was going to be like. And yet he says, these will be my people in this generation. I will raise them up. He does this in us, you all. He's pleased to reveal himself. He's engrafted us in. We're born again of a new nature. And now we're just learning how to grow in it. I mean, we grew in our old nature. <laughs> now it's time to grow in our new. 
so that we would walk in the Spirit. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Still have time. I still have time. More word for you. Well, studying through Scripture. Say, but we had so much Scripture before. <laughs> Praise be to God. I still encourage you to remember you were purchased. <laughs> You're not your own. Now, the, now where we're shifting is studying through Scriptures. We started walking through, studying through Scripture. We're in the book of Second Chronicles. Remember, we already read the first Chronicles. We're in Second Chronicles. We're doing Second Chronicles 14 through 16. We're going to do a little bit of Romans, a psalm, and then one little nugget of proverb. But don't forget Second Chronicles, or the book of Chronicles, both of them, first and second. They were written to a people who were coming out of bondage. They had lost everything, their whole identity, a whole generation of people taken captive. And now a new generation is coming forth, and now these people are free to return back. And they don't know their God. <laughs> and they don't know who, what their identity is as his people. And this chronicler has began to write to remind them how great their God is. And who they are and how they should live for him. He's reminding them. And so we're going to hear an incredible account of this king that was raised up. These people are being reminded of. But then you're going to hear of his fall. So. I forgot my story. Oh, no. Do you want me to read it? Nope, that's fine. Sorry. I was going to get my voice rest. Um, yeah, if you don't mind. I need my voice to rest. So, Second Chronicles 14. When Abjubah died, he was buried in the city of David. Then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for ten years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of, the, of his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. Asa told the people of Judah, Let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God, and he has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. King Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah, armed with large shields and spears. He also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. Both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. Once, an Ethiopian named Zira attacked Judah with an army of 1 million men, and 300, I'm sorry, and 300 chariots. They advanced to the town of Maresha. So Asa deployed his armies for battle in the, very, in the valley north of Maresha. And then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O oh Lord, no, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty 
Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. Asa and his armies pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army, and the army of Judah carried off a vast amount of plunder. While they were at Gerar, they attacked all the towns in that area, and terror from the Lord came upon the people. As a result, a vast amount of plunder was taken from these towns too. They also attacked the camps of herdsmen and captured many sheep, goats, and camels before finally returning to Jerusalem. Chapter 15. Then the Spirit of God came upon Ezra, son of Obed, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled the people in every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. But as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard this message from Azra, the prophet, he took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled down among them. From, for many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. The people gathered at Jerusalem in late spring during the 15th year of Asa's reign. On that day, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in the battle. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with their heart and soul. And they agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and ram's horns sounding. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all of their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. King Asa deposed his grandmother, Mekah, from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the pagan shrines were not removed from Israel, Asa's heart remained completely faithful throughout his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and the gold and the various items that he and his father had dedicated. So there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. 
in the chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Basha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded by removing the silver and gold from the treasure of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. He sent it to King Ben-Hadid of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus, along with this message. Let there be a treaty between you and me, like the one between your father and my father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with the king, with King Basha of Israel, so that he will leave me alone. Ben-Hadid agreed to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his army to attack the towns of Israel. They conquered the towns of Ejon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mekah, and all of the of the store cities in Naphtali. As soon as Basha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and stopped all work on it. Then King Asa called out the men of Judah to carry away the building stones and timbers that Basha had been using to fortify Ramah. Asa used these materials to fortify the towns of Giva and Mizpah. At that time, Hanai, the seer, came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast armies with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war. Asa became so angry with Hanai for saying this that he threw him into prison and put him in stocks. And at that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. The rest of the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the book of the king of Judah of Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the first... 41st year of his reign, he was buried in the tomb he had carved out for himself in the city of David. He was laid on a bed perfumed with sweet spices and fragrant ointments, and the people built a huge funeral fire in his honor. This chronicler captured these events for these people that are coming back into the land to remind them how great their God is and what it means to walk in obedience towards him, what it means to seek him with all of their hearts. And how he then will move on their behalf to accomplish what he has purposed for their lives. King Asa, he lived and he reigned and he was this incredible king that was going forth and reestablishing the worship of the true God. He was tearing down these strongholds. He was getting rid of all these false gods that were throughout Israel. The people of God, the land. He didn't get rid of everything, though. Sometimes that's no different than us. God is bringing us into a new season, a new, a new nature. We're born again. And we keep trying to take these little trinkets. We keep, we keep trying to take these little gods that we were once serving. Whatever they are. Whatever they are. Your anger, your lust, your manipulation, your pride. 
your gossiping, your backbiting, your poor stewardship, whatever it is. Whatever you're subservient to. Well, I'll get rid of this, I'll get rid of that, I'll get rid of this, I'll get rid of that, but shh. Let's just keep this. Some of us have old lifestyles that we refuse to let go of. Old habits. Old, old viewing habits. Old listening habits. That doesn't really matter. As God really said. But when you don't clean house completely, don't be surprised when you end up like King Asa. He forgot the Lord. And in the moments of crisis, and these people are being reminded, keep your eyes on God. Seek Him. Know Him. Love Him. He didn't turn to God. He relied on Himself. And even when God, in his mercy, sent forth the prophet, sent forth this to, to let him know, he didn't want to listen. Got rid of him. Then, didn't you hear? He then became harsh on his people. That's how you know when people are not walking with God. They may have a position. They may have whatever. They can, they can pretend all they want. These people are being reminded. You're being brought back in. God is your God. You are his people. This is how you worship him. This is how he responds to you. So don't look outward. But look upward. Go to Romans chapter 9. Verse 1 through 21. Paul's addressing the church in Rome. Again, there's a lot of confusion going on, a lot of false teaching going on, a lot of bickering going on. The Jews are thinking they're the hierarchy. The Gentiles are now thinking the Jews are nothing. We're the ones chosen. And it's becoming a mess within the church. Because whenever it becomes a mess in the church, as we're seeing it in our day and age, it's because God's not in control. (laughs) They're looking elsewhere, outward. The enemy's running amok. But Paul's addressing it. He's bringing correction. He's bringing correction to the church. And know how the church needs to be corrected. So we pick up today. Paul's still addressing it. Verse 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 1 through 21. When Christ, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. This is Paul. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Listen to what he says here. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul knew he couldn't save them. Only Christ could. But the intent of Paul's heart, the desire of Paul's heart, 
is to see his kinsmen. The Jewish people saved through Christ. And he's even to the depths of his being saying, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. He knew it wouldn't. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them, and he gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite, as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is, and he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were, they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received this message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scripture, I love Jacob but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chose to show mercy to some and he chose to harden the hearts of others so they refused to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decorations and another to throw garbage into? God, you all. God. He's the creator. He purposes. He plans. He calls. He redeems. Paul's addressing all this chaos that's been brought in by these teachers who are trying to establish all these laws of works. 
and then, divi- and then dividing the people. You're the Jew. You're the chosen one. Oh, the Gentiles. Now see, God's plan failed for the Jews. Now, you're the ones that God's called. And all of a sudden, there's just division among the races, among the chaos that's going on. That's how the enemy works. But remember, God has chosen a people. A people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. They are called out. And it's not based on their works. It's not based on their church attendance. It's based on the matter of hearts. Had they been born again, had they received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the payment that was paid from the created to be restored back to the Creator. Go to Psalm 19. We're coming to an end. Psalm 19. Again, we study it through Scripture. In hopes that you would gain an understanding of the character of God, how great He is. It should draw us closer to God. It should give you a hunger to know Him even more. Because He's being cheapened. Lies are being told about Him. People have a misconception. I did before I came to Christ. I hated Jesus, I hated the church. Found it boring. I thought there was no power in it. Ah, I don't want it. All those people are just judgmental. <laughs> I heard for the majority of my life how much God hated me. So I hated God. That's how I lived before I came to Christ. That's how you live. <laughs> That's how all of us live. Because we're in rebellion towards them. Now, we may act differently in that rebellion, but the issue is that we're still rebelling against him. But when God is pleased to reveal himself to us, and he steps in and he says, here's my son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God made this provision through Christ. There's no greater story. There's no greater king. There's no greater God. There's nothing else out there in this temporal world that is being sold to people that's greater There's this incredible story of redemption. And I keep telling you, though man penned it, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the living word of God. And I know when I'm out on the streets and I'm talking with people, maybe you're out there talking to people, and they come back at you, that man wrote the Bible. I keep telling you, no, 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 you could tell them (laughs) man penned it, (laughs) but it was inspired by God. It was not inspired by men. Because the nature of man would never expose the darkness of man. Men would not expose their nature, their rebellion against a holy God. And nor would they expose it and then write about the provision through God, through himself, to restore them back to him. Created men would not do that. Only a holy God would do it. And that's why... For generations, for generations, the word of God, even before it was written, when it was just spoken, has been under attack. So we better wake up. So I love to end our time in the book of Psalms because 
man, these are men who, who penned as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit in the midst of their circumstances. They faced the most challenging things and issues in life. And yet they pinned about it, and yet they, they, they wept over it. They always gave us hope to look up how great God is. How marvelous his deeds are. How he's slow to anger, filled with compassion. We could cry out, search me, O oh God. Is there any wicked way within me? Test me, O oh God. See, when you know God that way, when you have that intimacy with Him, like I would rather fall into your hands and then and then to the hands of men. Because I know you're faithful, I know you're just. And I don't know if there's anything within me, it's your loving kindness that will reveal it to draw me ever more to your presence, that I may lay it down. See, there's a way in which we're called to live you. This is the beauty that we have to share with others. So Psalm 19, I hope, encourages you to look up. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Did you hear that? They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their, word, and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end, nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. I love this. Reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right. Ah, look at this. Bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're, I mean, they are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant. A great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Wow. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate, deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt. Come on. And innocent of great sin. Oh. And listen to how this ends. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. See, I don't know how you're worshiping. I don't know what you're doing in your own private life. 
Oh, but how I pray you're maturing. Oh, how I pray you're growing. Oh, how I pray that you know your God and you're responding to him. That you're just not taking him for granted. That you're just not lessening him and trying to bring him down and make him common. Because he won't be made common, you all. He won't be made common. He's God. He's holy. He's set apart. And so he calls his people out to be holy, to be set apart. So that in the time in which we have breath in our bodies, we are making him known. See, we're we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. One nugget of wisdom for you, go to Proverbs. Chapter 20, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. So again, there's a way in which we are called to live, you all. And it's to live for the glory of God. I'm going to close this out with this last song of worship. And then I'll close this in prayer.
Thank you. 